Hello, barnacles and scallywags, and welcome to another edition of the Book of Very, Very Bad Things podcast. I am still your host, Peter. I am still here. This week, we have the one and only Andrew Lowe. Do you know Andrew? Have you listened to Andrew's music? I'm sure you have. If you like the jazz June, you've heard Andrew's music. What you're hearing right now is his new band, Post Skeleton. This is uh, a lot more rock and roll. I recently read a quote that calls this pure blue-collar rock and roll. And I agree. I hear the replacements in this. I, I hear echoes of so many great straight-up rock and roll bands that just don't seem to be getting their due anymore and I'm glad to hear it. I had an excellent conversation with Andrew. Uh, we have a sort of quasi-history and this was great fun and he's just an amazing human being, amazing musician. So kick back, relax folks, and listen to Andrew Lowe on the Book of Very, Very Bad Things podcast. I'm well, how are you? I'm really good. I feel like I haven't seen you in, gosh, it's got to be 15, 16 years, somewhere (laughs) in the vicinity thereof. I think it's more than um, longer, actually, because if when's the last time you saw the Jazz June or we ran into each other at some point? I mean, the, uh, did you go to any of the reunion shows? Yeah, I did. Um, so, okay. I'm, I mean, that would have been, what, 2014, maybe? Yeah, 2014, yeah, yeah. Um, somewhere around then, because we played a couple of shows um, at the Boot and Saddle, I think it was, in Philly. Mm-hmm. And then we, we actually did some others up in Boston and so we played down in Fun 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 Fest and yeah, so, but yeah, that was 2013-2014. Yeah, that, that probably would have been the last time then and I've legitimately been coming to see you since you were Andy Atari, so. Really? <laughs> <laughs> no way. Yeah, since you were in, you know, Atari, the, the uh, you know, youth crew style hardcore band. Not to be confused with the 80 other bands with Atari in their title. That was Pennsylvania. Yeah, well, yeah, (laughs) exactly, exactly. So have we, like, met and talked before? Sorry if I don't remember. Yeah, it's well, it was a very long time ago. Um, Okay. I I know we played one of, you know, uh, Teddy and Chad Regola, obviously, because they put out some of the first Jazz June records. Yes, yeah, yeah. Keystone Ember. Yes, Um, exactly. They were my circle of friends when we were oh, kids. Oh, right. Okay. Nice. Okay. So. Yeah. Cause I know you said Wilkesbar and I was like, fuck. But, yeah. <laughs> Brings back memories for sure. Yeah. Probably good, bad and indifferent, but <laughs> no man, all good. Like, you know, the Kutztown, Pennsylvania. To... It's so funny. Cause going from like new, the Jersey, you know, I grew up on the, the Jersey shore and was on to like fucking mouthpiece straight edge and everything. And then, mm-hmm. um, and I guess, yeah, I guess we used to go to like New York City and stuff, but but then going to Lehigh Valley and realizing there's like this whole enormous, you know, scene of so many different bands and that, I, you know, I knew like turmoil, I guess, but then I don't know everything from like um, all the all the random like Scarlett O'Hara's and, and, and 
yeah just all those i can't even remember half the names of them now but all the double decker records and yeah um you know is it's funny because it's like is not that far away but it seemed like a whole whole other world in pennsylvania and yeah just had so much fun that sort of my five or six years at kutztown i was trying to mostly play music and trying to pass my classes <laughs> in the meantime <laughs> which sometimes didn't go so well that's why i was there for five years yeah, well, I, I dated a girl who went to Kutztown around that time period, so I was in Kutztown a lot as well. Really? And, what uh, was her name? Uh, uh, Kelly Seaman was her name. Uh, Kelly Seaman, okay. Yeah, that sounds familiar. Yeah, she used to hang out with that whole crowd, and, um, you know, there was just such a, such a following, especially for the jazz tune in that area, and in our area, even though you weren't, like, from our hometown, it was, like, hometown type vibes you know what i mean yeah totally well yeah because brian was from up in um oh god penargil mm-hmm. um and then i was obviously from new jersey and the rest of the guys came yeah they they were from doylestown but yeah obviously kutztown became our home it's so funny too because i think in some weird way like because you know like the sort of indie emo thing was really big in the midwest because we were from Kutztown, Pennsylvania, that somehow played to our favor because people were like, wow, you guys are from fucking the middle of nowhere, huh? Like we've never, <laughs> we've never heard of Kutztown. You must be from, you know, some, some, some little one horse town that makes you more legit, you know? Meanwhile, um, you know, we're from, I guess, but then I guess pe- pe- we would go, well, it's near Philadelphia, even though, as you know, it's, it's uh, not only is it uh, over an hour, but it couldn't be any different, more different from than Philadelphia. Especially since going towards Philadelphia, you have to drive from Kutztown through this town that has a mushroom farm in it, and the entire town oh, smells mate. like shit. <laughs> I remember that so bad. Remember I was that place? My, dude, I, yeah, because we used to go, where do we go? It must have been like the Salvation Army or something. There was like a regular trip that we made to this amazing Salvation Army in some town that I can't remember. But yeah, we had to pass through there, and every single time I was like, hey, here, we, here we are, we're back at the mushroom factory. <laughs> and smell it from a mile away and you know listening especially i've been listening to post skeleton but today i really don't like binged on it because we were going to talk and the more i listen to it the more i get a lot of the whole like a lot of replacements vibes and uh you know there there's just so many like uncle tupelo like a lot of the stuff that i had been listening to adjacent to the hardcore punk thing and what people would call emo i consider like indie rock slash post hardcore but i kind of get those vibes as well but it's not like you're pulling the whole uh ex hardcore guy now doing americana music thing it's it's still way more like rock oriented and less like kind of lean on that like like trying to be chamberlain thing you know yeah, no, totally. Like, I, I, I appreciate that you don't think that because I got this recent review, um, which said, "Post Skeleton plays like, honest to God, blue collar rock and roll." Which I mean, you know, I, I it was it was meant in a good way. It was like the, it kind of like Gaslight, um, is it Gaslight Anthem, Bruce Springsteen, that kind of vibe. And then they did mention the mention the replacements. And hey, I'll take that. But um. Yeah, hopefully we never go too far down like the honky tonk boogie rock road and uh, just <laughs> <laughs> try to be something that we're not. You know, that's the thing. I think um, you know it takes you know it takes a long time to find this. You know, for a band to find its sound, 
Um, and yeah, we've kind of veered into a bit of like the folky kind of stuff, but not gone too far down that road just to keep it. Yeah. So we're not just, like you said, becoming hardcore guys who are now playing Americana uh, mm-hmm. with like t- turned up um, mustaches and banjos and stuff. Although that's cool anyway, but I couldn't pull yeah, it off. It is. <laughs> you know, it's it's been done. I mean, I think this is very much its own animal. Um, kind of like, uh, God, how would I put it? Uh, when Neil Young walked and kind of started doing the crazy horse thing outside of his own stuff, that's kind of what it reminds me of because it has its own distinct take on something you already from someone you already know. You know, you know what I mean? They're, they're, right. Yeah. Of- okay. Yeah. That's cool, man. I see what you're saying. No, that's great, man. That's really cool. Especially, yeah, that's the thing. Cause like, you know, through this um, sort of promo, if you want to call it, I haven't been doing that many interviews, but I met a lot of people who are, you know, are sort of like our age from, um, similar New Jersey, Pennsylvania kind of areas. And obviously you remember the jazz June. So um, yeah, it's cool to like talk about, you know, cause it's immediately like, Hey, we have the same friends and we can talk about the same references. I don't get to do that in London, like ever. You yeah. know what I mean? There's, <laughs> there's no one in, in London that knows about like, you know, mid, you know, mid two thousands or early two thousands, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, post hardcore. So it's been great, man. So I appreciate yeah. you having me on, man. I really do. Oh, I'm I'm glad you came on too because I mean there is a great frame of reference, especially since we kind of grew up with listening to the same local bands too. Like in London, you can't talk to someone about Deckard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Oh man, I love Deckard. Damn, I have I not too. heard that because that was Deckard was pre the Gray Mid-Carson. AM. Is that right? Pre Gray and pre Mid Carson. That's mm-hmm. right. Yeah, yeah, the Mid Carson guys. Yeah, because I um. That, yeah, that was, a, I guess that was a bit before my time, but yeah, because when I uh, went, was going to cut out, or at least when the jazz dude were playing, that's when, yeah, Midcross in July, I guess we had their first seven inch and we're mm-hmm. like, hey, let's call them up and have them play our basement. Um, it was so naive, like going like, oh yeah, we'll give you some money. And of course, you know, we gave them like 15 bucks because it was like a college party and we had like a bucket in the corner, like donations, you know, um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah, Deckard was awesome. They had a really, yeah, God, I hope all that stuff's on YouTube because I've got to go back and listen to, it was a certain Deckard song that I loved, I remember. Well, they, they only really had one, two, six, seven, eight, nine recorded songs. They had the demo, dem, that demolition demo, and then the mm. seven, that was it. <laughs> yeah, 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 really cool, really cool. And yeah, it's great because I know, uh, I follow those guys on Instagram, so I feel like I can still... I know they're down, most of them are down in Florida. I think they started some sort of like AV, like computer installation business. Uh, Mikey Schmidt and um, some of the the two brothers work together. So um, yeah, and I know they had like a label and they started another band. And um, but yeah, obviously being in the distance between Florida and London, I haven't seen them in God probably twenty years or something. <laughs> that's that's kind of how that goes though yeah <laughs> what spurned on the move to london anyway uh well i was it was actually because i was married to a british girl living in like new jersey so i was going to so after kutztown i got this really shitty job at a concrete company and uh at, in the fucking complaint department so i'd get these like <laughs> 
New Jersey contractors like, oh, where's my concrete motherfucker? It's late and I got a bridge to pour it. So while I was there, um, and because I went to Kutztown for like English education, I decided I didn't want to be a teacher yet. I think I still say that one day I'll go back to being a teacher, but I just wanted to be out of school. Um, so I was working at Clayton Concrete and uh, hating life. And I was like, all right, the band thing hasn't worked out, but maybe I'll get into studio work. So I went to the SAE, like audio engineering course up in New York City. And while I was there, I met a girl who was over from England um, doing like an acting course, like friend of a friend. We got married and and then it was like really, really easy to move over here. It was like $500 and I had to show him like my resume and be like, yeah, I'll work, but I don't have a job lined up and I'll, you know, I'm, I'm sure I'll get one. Also, also like pre-economic crash as well. So, um, you know, didn't have the fear of just like fucking it all up. Um, and then, yeah. So yeah, it was just really easy. And then because after two more years, I got my indefinite leave visa so I can pretty much stay here forever. Um, we, I split up with my ex and now I've gotten together with my current partner. We've been together like 10 years and we've got two little girls and stuff. So yeah, I think I'll pretty much, uh, stick it around the UK, which is cool. Yeah, that is pretty great. I mean, to be yeah. an ex, an, an expat, that's sort of, that's a pretty romantic, uh, idea. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, and it's great. Cause like, um, obviously the proximity to Europe is like, you can jump on a plane or even in some cases you can get on a, you know, go on a train and be in Paris in two hours. Like you could go after work. You could like, I have gone after work, played a gig and then come home the next day from Paris. You know what I mean? It's just like, fuck. I mean, it's expensive, but like for gigs and stuff, you can do stuff like that. And um, the UK is, is great. Especially like I was out in um, the sort of suburbs of, of New Jersey and, you know, thinking like, Oh, what am I going to do? It's like New York city's close and stuff, but uh too expensive and you know you're too far from the city when you're by the shore and then if you're in the city it's so expensive but london is kind of like a bit more spread out where you can live a little bit live in close proximity to the city it's not too expensive and it's easy to get around and um and you can live in like a leafy neighborhood you know what i mean not like in a sort of brooklyn like brownstone or whatever like there's a bit more space and stuff like that so yeah, I've, I've, I've done really well. And, you know, I was, again, I was working this concrete complaint quality control job. And then when I moved here, I literally had no job. And they opened up the paper and it was like, editor for Pro Audio Magazine needed. I'm like, oh my God, I didn't even, like, this is my destiny. You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> this, I went to school for English education and then I went to a recording course. Like, I'm the perfect candidate and got that job. And now I've been working sort of, like pro audio companies ever since which has been great what's kind of cool though is you're actually still sort of using your degree i have my degree in english <laughs> lit, and i'm yeah. a i'm a plumber man <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it's a hard one I, that's the thing i think you have to if you're gonna be even like a journalist you have to be a good writer and be specialized in something you know what i mean like you probably mm -hmm. have to go and, you know, it's like you have to be the person who writes about politics or the person who writes about, you know, I don't know, weather or sports or whatever. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm in marketing, so I can't, I can't, you know, I was a journalist for a while for the Pro Audio magazine, but now I do marketing. So it's a little bit of writing and then design and all sorts of other stuff that keeps it interesting. Well, I, I, to me, it's still 
you know, smacks of what you'd gone to school for. I, I just get to be the most verbose plumber of all time. That's <laughs> yeah. with like the best record collection. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I do have a few great <laughs> record collection spanning almost four decades. We're better than four decades. I have all my father's records. So I have like, really? Oh man. I wish I would have kept mine. I mean, I never had a collection even near what I'm seeing behind you, but uh, yeah, this is I a do. 16th of what I own. Wow. Yeah. Wow. It's bad. <laughs> <laughs> man, i've ever just, seen you've I ever just, done somewhere behind me so really oh man you know what i had all of my records stolen um like so the year not the year but the week after we all graduated kutztown because we all pretty much graduated the same year um we went down like went to graduation ceremony and then like drove straight down to Louisville to play crazy fest. Mm -hmm. And we had to like move out of our apartment. So we all put all of our stuff in like Justin's or someone's basement who was staying for the summer or whatever. And some fucking assholes came. They stole guitar. I mean, obviously all our like tour stuff was with us, but they stole like extra guitars that we had left there all my jazz june records my parents had made these really nice little plaques with like the sort of like you know the sort of like layout in the box here and the cd above it and all there's still all that shit and i was thinking what the fuck are you gonna do with it you literally go to like the you know the cd store down the road and buy the cd for like four dollars you know in the used bin so <laughs> to have like my parents not you know we're gonna hang that up in their wall and be like i'm so proud of that record that i had nothing to do with and stole from the <laughs> from the singer you know but yeah so i don't really have much at all but um i know dan has a good collection and brian and stuff so i i can kind of live through them when i go over and see them i i would i don't know how i would feel if someone had stolen my collection of my own band like the band i was yeah in. it just doesn't it wouldn't even register with me like how would that make sense <laughs> no i know and the thing is i don't know i've never really been like I don't know, like, obviously I like to own a copy of the things that I, um, am, you know, records that I'm on, but um, I don't, I've just never been like a collector, you know, and again, I've moved so many times and then especially moving here, I just had to weed out so much stuff. And I guess I just was forced to be like, not nostalgic about it, you know, mm -hmm. obviously now you can go on Spotify and listen to it and uh, YouTube and everything else. But um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I just, even if I, even if I still had it, I probably would have either been like, oh, well, I'll just keep like the CD and put that in one of those shitty black books <laughs> and bring with that me then versus the case or the vinyl or whatever. But um, yeah, it, but you know, I, and I, I have a lot of stuff now too, just like old um, interviews and stuff. Like when we we're in Thrasher and I was about to chuck it all away. And my partner's like, no, when you're an old man, you'll want to kind of look through that stuff. Just, mm -hmm. just keep it all, you know, stick it in the back of the loft and uh, yeah, just don't, don't get rid of it. Yeah. Someday you're going to want to look back at it. I'm sure. Yeah. So, but what kind of like brought this project on where I, I know you'd been doing things in England uh, and like black time, you did that in England, correct? Yeah, yeah. So, like, when I moved over here, I, well, a guy that I knew through um, another garage rock band I was in called Wake Up Dead, um, he was like friends of friends of friends. And I really liked his band and called Live Fast Die. And I was like, you know, I'm not really doing much. If you need a bass player, I'm kind of available because um, he was a guitar player. And I was playing a lot of bass. 
And he was like, oh, well, I don't really need anyone this summer, but I'm doing this big European tour that I can't find anyone to go on. And I was like, it was just happened to be the month before I was already moving to London. So I was like, fuck, perfect timing. So I went on this big, like huge month long European tour with this, this awesome um, garage punk band called Live Fast Die. And um, then I moved here. And, but on that tour, that's when I met the Black Time guys because they, they played with Live Fast Die in Paris. And I was like, oh, I'm moving to London. And Matthew especially was just like, oh, man, I'll introduce you to all my friends, you know. And eventually they asked me to be in the band. And I was in that band and, and uh, some other like garage rock kind of bands for yeah, good like six, seven years until when we started to do the sort of Jazz June online thing that would eventually be the record after the earthquake mm. i got kind of back into writing more sort of like i don't know intricate guitar rock kind of songs versus the sort of like simple punk rocky kind of stuff that i was doing with those garage rock bands um so after the jazz june kind of ran its course just due to distance between me and america and everyone you know i think between us we have like nine kids or something so um but yeah i, I still had like this sort of big backlog of songs that i thought might be jazz june songs um and one of my friends moved from manchester down to kent and he was really keen to start a band so he's just like let's just do it man and he really kind of like pushed me not push me but he was like just really you know when you have a person in the band's like yeah let's you know they're when you're like ah oh, what's the point you know <laughs> you know mm-hmm. who what you know just this existential tailspin of like what is the meaning of life anyway it's just like <laughs> shut up let's just play you know and he was this guy matt who you know plays bass in the band and he was always really like come on really motivational or whatever um and so we started to play um just locally with the found this really cool guy called Robbie, who um, was like from Canada, but, you know, he was kind of like us, you know, into like more like propaganda and stuff, but, you know, hardcore into emo, you know, he was definitely from the same like um, sort of scene, but in, I guess, like Toronto area. So we had so many, so many frame of references. So yeah, it just really clicked really well. um, And we started to play and write a set. And then all of a sudden, like, COVID came and we, yeah, we played like two, we managed to play two shows and then COVID happened and uh, obviously everything shut down for two years, but we did, we were able to do some rehearsals and stuff and work on the recordings. So um, yeah, it was just, again, just like over a really long period of time writing those songs um, and recording them. And then we found this guy, Bob Cooper up in Leeds, who, you know, basically was able to take what we're just, rehearsal studio rehearsal studio recordings on you know decent mics but not like a studio session and run them through processors and analog stuff to make them sound like we were in an actual studio so it was like affordable way to you know get a professional sounding recording so yeah it kind of just kind of just happened like that you know it was like not um a huge intention behind it but then obviously once it started to sort of like take form and again, like the songs started to come together and we're really clicking writing stuff, then you're like, okay, this is a, this is a, this is a cool thing. Like I need to put more effort and time into this. Um, And we met the friend club records um, people through another guy called Tim who used to write for new noise magazine, who I met through jazz June interviews. Mm -hmm. And we just like collaborated online. And again, he was like, 
hey man, I really like, I sent him like early scratchy crappy demos and he was like, look, just go and, and play some shows and get some money for recording all. He's got like this really cool PR company called Sweet Cheetah. He's like, yeah, get he's, a song out. He's my publicist, yeah. Oh, right, yeah. Yeah, there, so you know all about him. He's mm -hmm. awesome. He was just like, go and record um, and I'll send it around to everyone I know. And he hooked me up with the friend club people and it was just like a perfect match because, you know, they're sort of like, I mean, they're, you know, they're, they're not loads of records, and but they're only two years old and we're obviously a young new band, even though we're all fucking old. But <laughs> um, <laughs> so it was just like really perfect time for both of us to meet, you know, where they're kind of like really getting going on releasing lots of music and we just you know um we're coming out of the pandemic and starting to play shows again and, and wanted to, to put some music out so yeah it just happened really cool um and you know i found that for every like every time i've recorded an album and made loads of demos and wrote a letter and sent it to all the labels nothing ever ever comes from that you know someone mm -hmm. might email you back and be like okay i'll listen to it and then that's it. But like every single like record deal or whatever you want to call it has all just happened like that. Like, oh, I know this person and they're cool. And then we meet and it's like, okay, let's like, let's just do it. And so yeah. I love those situations. They don't happen all the time, but when they do, um, it's just really cool. Cause it kind of like validates the fact that, you know, you're putting all this, obviously you want to record and people to hear the music. I don't expect to ever make any money, but um I want people to hear it, you know, <laughs> put some time and effort into it and having someone like friend club, who's like really eager to help promote it and, you know, put some time and effort into putting out the release. It's just been really fucking fun. It's interesting with them too, because they're uh, it's, it's like they're fostering an interest in our era. Yeah. You know what I'm saying because you have, you know, John Reba from boys life is on that label. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, Oh God who was it uh drowning man's on that label now yeah 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 totally there's, there's no like and a, yeah a, a renewed interest in our uh general like time frame you know <laughs> or people yeah from and i don't know if that you know i kind of get a whiff of people saying like there's another wave of emo happening because I don't know. Have you seen like the Riot Fest lineup? It's like Alkaline yeah. Trio, and you know, mm -hmm. I'm just like, I, and I'm so far out of the loop as far as like the U.S. scene because I haven't lived there for 15 years. But um, but yeah, and then like when I listen to all the different friend club bands, like I've listened to loads of them. I mean, they put out one a week, so I can't actually listen to every <laughs> every single one of them. There's so much music coming out, which is awesome. Um, they all, yeah, they sound like something like similar to, to, to bands that we would have played with back then, but with like a new spin on it, which is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I've been seeing, a, I guess, what you, one would construe as a, a new renaissance of emo, but it, it's that. And there's also a new renaissance of uh, like post-punk adjacent stuff that kind of ties in with emo, too, in its own oh, really? way. And it's, I almost wish I was a teenager now because people <laughs> don't really care about genre anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Which I find refreshing when back in the, you know, nineties and early two thousands, people kind of wore that jacket. Like it was their, you know, reason for being that their MO was to be 
a youth crew revivalist, straight edge. Yeah, kid, yeah. This or that, or oh, I never had time for it really. I just liked all of the music. <laughs> yeah. No, exactly. And you know, it's funny because I was say when 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 jazz, the jazz tune first started. Obviously, I was in a like an Atari hardcore straight edge xing up and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then we started just to to do the jazz tune stuff. We were still playing like shows with Atari, you know, because in the beginning you just kind of play any show, and especially being on like a college campus or in you know, that part of Pennsylvania, um, you didn't have like a huge choice and no one's going to put us up uh, uh, like uh, opening slot at, you know, some cool, huge club in Philly. So you kind of play anything and you would get this thing of like, who are these jazz dude guys? They're so lame, you know, they're playing, wearing sweaters and, you know, they don't (laughs) (laughs) playing slow and everything. And and it was like, it's funny because a lot of those kids, years later admitted that they really do like the jazz dude. And then they started their own sort of like rock band. So it all kind of comes full circle, but yeah, you, 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 you had to, you, there was a lot of gatekeeping and like stay in your lane and, Oh, you, especially in the hardcore scene, it's like, you are not straight edge and now you're playing in a, you know, not hardcore band. You're not my friend anymore, you know, which yep. is, is so crazy. You broke <laughs> so, edge. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's just so funny. Like, you know, but I suppose there must be some version of that now with, you know, when you're that age, I don't know. I guess it's also like you're forming your identity through music. And then when someone who's your like good friend all of a sudden decides they don't want to do exactly the same thing anymore, I guess it's just more of like, oh shit, you know, you feel a bit like you're losing like a bit of your, yeah, you're just losing a, a bit of a bit of your friend's interest in what you're doing. So I can kind of see it in that way. It's funny though. Yeah, especially since like I don't know the band I was in at that time uh, in the '90s and early 2000s was the only grindcore band from our area, and we were probably the most hated band from this area because <laughs> we were not PC and none of us were straight edge. And yeah, yeah. We played all the festivals, uh, you know, because of my friend group really. Chad yeah, yeah. Ed, you know they put on the mayfly fest and everything and we like played a f- fest with jimmy world really <laughs> <laughs> everybody's awesome. looking at us like we're we were like the most psycho humans on earth but that yeah yeah and it's funny too because i even had situations where like we we on one tour uh up in connecticut we opened up for converge and we were like oh you know, obviously, on it's we're like it's going to be a good show. We'll you know get gas money to go to the next show, and I loved Converge, but I was like, oh man, this is going to fucking suck. Like everyone's going to hate us. Um, and then we showed up, and like Converge themselves, coolest guys ever, just like oh, yeah. loving you know that we were different. And actually, we were kind of joking about how you know they just end up playing with like chugga chugga bands every single night. And it's actually refreshing to play with someone who's playing a bit of different music and and you know the crowd was pretty you know they're pretty receptive and because i think a lot of people obviously probably like a lot of different kind of music besides just converged sounding bands so um yeah it can kind of it kind of worked sometimes in your favor and sometimes yeah it could go horribly wrong if you were like yeah grindcore band <laughs> at the uh the emo show it's just uh yeah sometimes if if, if your audience members refuse to sit down and uh and be quiet between the songs then you might yeah, get some shit. Yeah, it was fun regardless, though. Yeah, but yeah. I I, I kind of skipped over my first question that I ask everyone, and it's it's we're already like into the interview, but I'm gonna ask it anyway. 
what is it that terrifies you most on an existential level? I always ask that first because it kind of cuts through to the core of what a person is about. Yeah, I mean, I like this question and because I've listened to a few of your podcasts. I know you ask it. And the thing is, this, this question was like a, sort of a turning point in some like therapy that I had um, not too long ago when so my, my father passed away a couple of years ago and I got this like free bereavement counseling, but it was great. It was like not just obviously working through the grief, but also just like looking back at my childhood and everything else. And yeah, we kind of got to this point where um, the the counselor was like, why do you think that if you don't do everything exactly the way that you should, that you're just going to lose everything. Like all of a sudden, you know, you're going to get found out or you're going to make the wrong decision and you're going to like end up on the street drinking, you know, Budweiser and, and on a bench. Like, so for some reason, I think, and I guess we kind of attached it just to some sort of like Catholic guilt that was in, <laughs> instilled mm -hmm. in me when I was a young kid. But yeah, just the fear of just like losing, absolutely losing everything and going into a landslide, like, like as if that could just happen overnight, you know, that everyone abandoned me and I, everyone hated me and I ended up sleeping on the street. Don't ask me why that it's that extreme, but yeah, and that, that is my sort of like biggest fear that somehow I'm going to wake up one day and it's all going to go wrong. And <laughs> I'm just going to be <laughs> sitting on the park bench with a 40 or something. Well, at least it's, um, at least it's plausible. I mean, yeah. I, <laughs> you know, the, my, my fears are definitely like, they're not implausible, but they're just not something any human being should ever worry about because it doesn't really matter. You know, at least this yeah. makes sense in a, and, on, and within the context of human existence, this makes sense. My, you know, yeah, just... I suppose in some, yeah, in some crazy way. It, it, yeah, and that, you know, and some, I remember reading this stuff saying like people who were, um, you know, pre-pandemic, people who kind of like had this fear of impending doom were actually validated because it's like, here it is. I told you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was always worried that, you know, there's something massive was going to come down and like, completely change the face of humanity and here it is um yeah definitely not a good way to live and i think hopefully i've kind of worked through some of that but um yeah that was always always the fear the landslide into absolute um whateverness yeah abject poverty and yeah <laughs> and uh complete and utter abandonment well, yeah, everyone's, yeah. everyone's fear is abandonment though i have to say to some yeah, degree true. or another loneliness and abandonment has been you know, just the, the common thread, whenever I ask this question, it, it always pertains to that in some respect or another. So I, I think that kind of proves the experiment for me, uh, you know, that that's the prevailing fear in most humans. Yeah. And loneliness. it's crazy. It's crazy. I guess it's just, I don't know where it comes from. I'm sure there's a whole sort of like episode you could go into figuring that out with some sort of professional, but, um, <laughs> Yeah, funny that it's uh, everyone's shared fear. Pretty pretty much. I mean, sometimes you kind of have to rein it in a little bit to figure out what that's really about, but everyone's is loneliness somewhere in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Makes sense. Now that that comes up, the whole EP to me, lyrically, sounds like loneliness in a way. 
Yeah, well, on loneliness. Yeah, you know, and a lot of the things, um, a lot of the songs are experiences um, that were not actually mine specifically. Um, you know, sometimes I think at this point I've written so many songs about my own experiences that I've kind of moved on to writing about other things that are happening and, you know, writing it from like the perspective of me living through it. Um, but yeah, for some reason, those are the things that inspire um, like song titles and meetings and phrases and things like that, that sort of like, well, I guess it's that shared sense of, um, you know, feeling alone and lonely in the world. And sometimes, I don't know, not necessarily that that's a 100% bad thing. I mean, sometimes it is satisfying to to sit. Well, if you can be happy by yourself, I guess that's the, the dream, right? Because then you mm -hmm. are only making decisions because you want to make them versus based on the fear of uh, missing out or or um, the fear of, uh, of being a, of being alone, but um, yeah, it's it's I don't know. I, again, it's it's kind of an abstract thing that um, I'm not very good at expressing in words. But I guess like the song titles and phrases and and things that kind of pop into my head when I'm writing songs tend to be about negative or not great things. And I remember like when we did a jazz June show again, when we kind of like got back together in 2014 and it was a matinee and all of the um, guys in the band's kids were coming. And I was like, all right, I need to edit myself to make sure that I'm not like screaming fuck, <laughs> you know, every two seconds. And I really started to think about my lyrics. I'm like, God, they're all really depressing yeah. <laughs> topics. <laughs> but um, I don't know. I guess that's just my outlet. I suppose that's because I'm generally actually pretty positive and, um, you know, I like to laugh more than I like to cry um, and try to do that on a daily basis. But yeah, I suppose that it just, it's my outlet for fear, anger, you know, and, and those kind of things. That's where, that's where I funnel it through. See, I always kind of thought too, like not with the early Jazz June stuff, but like you guys went through a lot of shit. And I, like I thought post all, like all the drama that the lyrics were kind of informed by that because it did get more miserable, I think. In, in its own way, lyrically, not musically so much. Musically, you guys actually started to be more rocking and, and yeah. had more of a thrust, but I, lyrically it did it did seem to get a little bit more miserable. But I, I guess that's not the case because that's just kind of what you write about. And yeah, I, I mean, normal. yeah, I, yeah, I suppose at the time, you know, being whatever, 19, 20 years old, the kind of um, things that you think are really well, not important. The things that you think are just so devastating, whether it's like a relationship that didn't go well or a friendship that didn't work out or, you know, people kind of getting older and, um, and, and, and changing and going and, you know, maybe you don't see them anymore and you don't meet eye to eye politically or you, you, you realize rifts in your family. Um, I think those are the kind of things that, um, probably I was going through at the time, just like that kind of growing up, you know, you're going from being in like the safe confines of your family home. And then you kind of get a dip into the real world when you kind of live out on your own. And then I, I did have a few friends who passed away and things like that. Cause I started getting into drugs and weird stuff. They shouldn't be. Um, and yeah, I suppose that all kind of fed into the, into the music. Um, and then I was, and then right before we wrote the last album, 
um, better off without air. I mean, Jesus, better off without air. Yeah. What's that <laughs> <tell> very, you? <laughs> that was like post 9-11, you know, and we were all living like Brian was in the city when it happened. I was down in New Jersey, not far away. And uh, obviously everyone on the East Coast, if not the whole world, felt that really hard. So, so yeah, definitely a lot of crazy things going on. Um, but, you know, uh, so, yeah, I guess that never changes because now look where we are. Just I mean, luckily we're through the pandemic, but then, of course, there's always something around the corner with the war in Ukraine. It's just like it it's always feels like, again, everything, the world could just implode at any second. It reminds me, this reminds me of the 80s right now with this whole Red Scare thing again. Yeah, yeah. Because our generation, we'd grown up terrified of Russia, terrified. Yeah, yeah. The Russians were coming. They were coming to get us. They were going to invade. They were going to nuke us. Red Dawn was going to happen. That was like a part of the zeitgeist of, of the kid who grew up primarily in the 80s, you know? Yeah. And then I remember even, I remember uh, being sort of 23, 24, the uh, war in Iraq happened and it was like, mm -hmm. that's it. This is the next world war and everyone's going to be, everyone under 40 is going to be drafted and having like real fears about that. And obviously 9-11 and terrorism and everything. So I don't know, there's definitely something in the sort of like political narrative supporting those things. Not that they don't exist, but, you know, it's definitely good to keep people you know in fear and thinking that you're the only person that can save them from this i mean that was trump's whole thing wasn't it like mm -hmm. if you don't vote for me like twenty thousand gay mexicans are gonna take out all over the america you know it was his fucking <laughs> stupid shit that he would come out with you know and it was like people were like okay you're 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 we're gonna support you so that that doesn't happen you know um but you know obviously it's not even just politicians it's the media trying to keep you reading the paper every day to find out what's the new development. So it's really impossible to escape it. Like I have really taken a step back from the news um, app, you know, sort of because of the pandemic and reading so many fucking stupid headlines about, you know, things that you know, speculate, speculative things that journalists had written in publications that I had previously sort of uh, respected and I just want to know like the facts and the information because, but it's impossible because you just go into, you know, the shop down the street and you're buying a gallon of milk. You look over and there's a big sign like food. Everyone's going to starve to death because food's going to be 20,000 pounds more expensive. You know, it's just always something for, and especially with social media, obviously, if you're on any one of the Facebook, Instagram, whatever, you can't help but see some sort of shit like that. So um, yeah, it's just always there, isn't it? Yeah, yeah and the, the the problem with that is is we we buy it we yeah. keep buying it you know <laughs> and that's the worst part we we should know better we should know better but even i mean you're in england you you had the the british equivalent of donald trump and boris johnson oh yeah yeah and it had basically the same kind of things going on there there's there's really no escaping it, it it's it's the United States has corrupted all at this point. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because, um, again, sort of like part of when I sort of did that kind of therapy and things like that, that I was looking into, you know, it's a lot of it is you are addicted to that. Um, you're addicted to that feeling of like chaos and, um, you know, uh, having that sort of like <gasps> feeling, um, it, it becomes an addiction just to to know about all the sort of like 
bad things that are going on in the world. Um, yeah, and, and 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 it's easy to sort of like get pulled down a rabbit hole. And obviously, you know, some people go really far down the rabbit hole. And then, you know, all the sort of like horrible YouTube algorithms that if you watch one Jordan Peterson um, video, all of a sudden 10,000 other assholes are going to show up in your feed. And if you yeah. get really too into it, all of a sudden you're starting to believe that, you know, there's like lizards running the world and, you know, whatever other shit that, you know, those people are into. Oh yeah. That Billy Corgan kind of broke my heart when I'd, I'd seen him on Joe Rogan and he was talking about uh, like alien lizard shapeshifters in the music industry. I was like, Oh God, Billy, just, Jesus, yeah. just write yeah. another album. That's good. I know. I know. And you know what? I, I, yeah. Cause he, they did a smashing pumpkins, reunion or whatever it was not long ago and they played a show on like the bbc and they were so fucking good i was yeah. like oh it's a shame because even just hearing some of those old songs the band was so good and the songs are just so good it's like it's it's i hate that when that happens when someone just goes completely off the wall and you're like yeah. well i guess i can't listen to those records anymore yeah it, it's it certainly sullies it for you you know when when you yeah. find out these sorts of things but I think the older I get, the more I start to realize that I have to separate the artist from the art at some point. Not yeah, like I'm going to go yeah, listen yeah. to Ed Nugent anytime soon because <laughs> yeah. like, fuck him and everything he stands for. But yeah, you know what I mean? Like, you have bands like that I, I really enjoyed that were newer, like brand new, for example. And then you find out what that cat was up to, and you're like, oh shit! Like, what am I gonna what am I gonna do now? Burn them? I still like the music. Yeah, yeah, and that, that was like the even maybe, maybe sort of a little bit less. Um, uh, you know, the Beach Lang, like, loved mm -hmm. that band, played with them many times. Oh, god, his old band, I used to see, I saw Weston like a million times. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Weston, like, such a long sort of lineage of just great songs, and then all of a sudden it was like came out that he was just a complete dickhead, and you're like, mm -hmm. oh, shit. Yeah, that sucks. But yeah, I suppose, you know, to, I guess you have to figure out, um, like you said, sometimes separate the art from the artist or maybe just figure out some way to listen to it without it still supporting them. I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, <laughs> I listen I don't. to it on YouTube. I have no idea. I, I think what it comes down to, too, is, yeah, there's a lot of shitty people in the world. And yeah, some of those shitty people are going to be in bands you like. That's yeah, inevitable. Yeah. That's inevitable. It's not the whole band. It's just a shitty person's shitty action. I mean, <clears throat> if I had existed in a world, a social media run, run world, when I was still very active, I, I'm still in a band, but I'm 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 closer to fifty than I am to forty. I'm yeah, not. Yeah. I'm not going to be like actively touring with a three year old downstairs you know what i mean yeah <laughs> when i was in my teens and 20s i was not as good of a person as i am now and i definitely could have run afoul of someone not in a sexual way but definitely in a violent way like towards other yeah. men i'm not going to come out smelling pretty yeah you, you know what i mean <laughs> well you know it's it's crazy because i think about this all the time like when we were growing up listening to bands like Pro Mags, Agnostic Front, um, you know, some of the like a lot of the New York City hardcore bands, it's like a lot of those dudes were just criminals, you know what I mean? They're, yeah. You know, and and obviously most of them have like reformed and 
you know, get on the straighter path and, and try to then help people, you know. But yeah, it was like we we were drawn to these people who were very violent, very male, uh, you know, aggressive, macho. Obviously, all the shows, people like as soon as the band comes on, everyone takes their shirts off and starts fighting, you know, which like mm-hmm. under the guise of like, you know, getting out the aggression, which, yeah, I mean, there's definitely a thing. It's better It's better to do it in that way than like some of the younger people in like the UK would just go out to a football game and fight other people. Obviously it's less violent, but you know, the other, there is that kind of, even though you kind of feel like with that hardcore scene, you're getting away from all the sort of rah-rah football thing. It's just kind of a slightly different version of it. And um, you know, if you really believe and buy into all the bands and if you're young and impressionable, you know, you're going to think, you know, yes, if my friend stabs me in the back, I need to, end him or you know, whatever lyrics yeah. <laughs> that you that you would have been listening to like a lot of violent stuff so sheer terror and all that kind of stuff it's just like yeah. yeah when you listen back you're like wow as an impressionable young teenager that's probably not the greatest <laughs> thing to be listening to <laughs> at least with sheer terror though most of his songs were about heartbreak but yeah yeah true he, he true. didn't paint it paul didn't paint it in a very uh pc way either you know what i mean <laughs> no exactly <laughs> but yeah. um that's another thing you just kind of have to separate i think but i well, think what you, you I, go ahead sorry. To, to your point it it can sully it though it, it really can because there are certain there are certain things certain bands that i i really can't i can't touch anymore because of that sort of thing either depends on yeah, the extremity exactly. of their infraction but yeah, I mean, I suppose you you would hope that those people would be, you know, that they would realize what they had done and kind of like repent and, um, you know, turn out to be better people in the end of it. But I suppose, you know, that's not really our job as a music fan of their band to like help them through that process. Like hopefully <laughs> they do it themselves and, you know, and and they can come out and go, oh, yes, that was a bad thing I did. And um, I'll never do it again and uh, realize the error in their ways. But I suppose at that point, they don't have the chance to then come come out. I mean, some of them, some of them have. But um, usually it's like, that's it, you're done, band's canceled and uh, never to be t- spoke of again. I, th- I think that uh, this whole Johnny Depp thing in and of itself is is kind of ill-advised for anyone to even you know celebrate for either side or whatever because you know it's indicative of of the almost matador type pageantry you know what i mean we're just yeah to see people destroying each other and i think it's maybe not the same way with canceling one another because there are really good reasons to not want to participate in someone's art if they're a really shitty person yeah, yeah. But I think there's also a very morbid aspect to it where we enjoy seeing it because it's it's like the spectacle of the matador, you know, the watching the bull die horribly, like you know, like modern gladiators, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's kind of, I was trying what I was trying to think of before is like the phrase, you know, the, the sort of um I forget what it was, but it's like something to the effect of like like peaceful existence is 
dull and unfamiliar. You know what I mean? Like we're, we think, oh, we, yeah, I want to, uh, okay, I'm just sitting here and there's a nice sunny day and I'm listening to the birds and everything else. And then all of a sudden it's like, bing, your phone goes, you're like, holy shit, did you hear that that happened? And you get all into it. And it's like, like you said, you know, you're, you're watching from a, a distance and you think, oh, these two horrible people are, um, you know, fighting over these stupid things, but it's so entertaining and you, know, you kind of get caught up in it and, and it's, it's hard not to in, in, in some respect of whatever that is. But um, essentially, yeah, it just it's just perpetuating that sort of like if people didn't watch trials like the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard trial, they wouldn't be on TV, but people fucking love it, you know, and it, and, uh, you know, it becomes part of the narrative and people take sides and people are like, you know, and this is people's personal misery that we're seeing kind of played out in front of the the world, um, and yeah, it's 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 it is pretty awful. But we, you know, we see everything now. We see blown apart bodies on the news, and divorce settlements, and reality TV, and people's lives being ruined for entertainment. Now, you know, it's like we've kind of gotten past the point where there's nothing that's taboo anymore to put on tv or in the paper it's just everything's there it's all verite now at this point that's yeah yeah and that's a shame because i've grown i've i've gone the opposite direction i was the kid in the 80s in the uh we didn't even have a video store the town i'm from is so small Damn. we rent <laughs> we rented videos from a hardware store <laughs> nice. Now, that's awesome. Granted, this was when VHS first came out, but I was the kid in there getting faces of death and you oh, know, yeah, all that vile, vulgar stuff. And now, yeah, yeah, I still like horror movies, but now, like, if my wife tells me about something like, like particularly pernicious that happened to like a child, for example, oh god, yeah, she's seen on YouTube, I can't hear it. I don't want to know about it. I walk away. No, exactly. Yeah. You just can't, especially when it could, yeah. Anything, when you have a kid, anything to do with kids, all of a sudden you're like, oh my God. you like, it just absolutely just cuts. Yeah. Cuts you like a knife. Um, but yeah. Gosh, I remember all that. I never watched that faces of death stuff. I remember there was, yeah, that was like floating around. Um, just, just, I, I guess like now thinking about it, I'm having flashbacks. I guess I did see some of it, but how fucking crazy. And, and again, that was like, an obscure thing now it's that's something you see all the time yeah yeah you don't have to go to a cd uh hardware store and rent it off the top shelf on the sly and, and sneak it past your parents all you have to do is log on to youtube and at least the faces of death most of that was faked okay yeah yeah o only some of it was real everything you see now 100 percent real there was a video yeah, floating yeah. around of these two russian teenagers killing a homeless guy on a bench and it oh, showed good. It, it was just vile and contemptuous beyond words. Uh, I didn't watch all of it because I don't have the stomach for it. Uh, because the idea of real people getting killed, <laughs> no thanks. You know, no, you get, I know. If it's like a whole, there's a whole genre too, isn't there? Of like, my friend was telling me he was watching this show about these people somewhere in America where they would like, you know, they'd be like doing a live stream and people would be like, go punch that guy and you know like lives and the people would be like directing these idiots to go like beat people up or do horrible things and that became like that that's the they became famous for that walking around town and people going like go over to that guy and punch him in the face and then they do it and then you know 
and then that's what people are like watching at home on a Friday night. It's like fuck off. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, we have that. For the love of God, I don't even want to live in a world where that happens. But unfortunately, no, exactly. we do. And I, I don't know, man. I know we're way off the subject of your of your music, and I apologize. But that's just no, one of those no things that I, I can't really, I can't get past it. I can't get past that. This is the world I have to bring children up in. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I know. It becomes um, just yeah. It's just like what is it? What what have I done to these poor little innocent people? They're gonna one day grow up and find out all these horrible things exist. And yeah, it's not great. But uh, maybe they'll change the world you know maybe we're just complicit in it all and we're just kind of like we grew up while it was happening i always feel like one day my kids will be like are you serious you went onto a computer uploaded a picture of yourself and all of your personal information so that anyone in the world could see it what are you fucking stupid you know what i mean like we just went on there like yes take all of my personal information i will give it to you and share it every single day and it's just like now I just hope that they turn around and they go, well, yeah, no, that was a really bad idea, Dad, and I'm not going to do that kind of thing. And hopefully maybe they'll sort of like use it for the good that it could be doing, you know? Yeah, as a marketing tool and and yeah, only, yeah. And only a marketing tool. But yeah, I'd, if someone had told me when I was a teenager that these, remember we were in like the, AIM chat rooms or whatever that uh -huh. they were going to become this stuff I never would have believed it and no totally yeah I held off for a long time too I'm one of the last of all of my friends I was the last holdout to actually get a Facebook or anything like that but I caved I did it yeah yeah to what well, end you well eventually at some point it becomes impossible not to because it's like well you want to yeah it's like especially if you're in a band it's like well what are you going to do you have to promote your shows on Facebook and then you're like okay I guess and you know they, yeah and Twitter and everything else because you were like retweeting fucking reviews or whatever else and then all of a sudden that just becomes the norm when you like fight it for so long and then all of a sudden you're like okay now I have to use this as a tool for either work or promote the art I'm doing and then you just get caught up in it. I got caught up when I first joined Twitter, I kind of was naive to it where I went on and I started to tweet from the Jazz June account about Earth Crisis. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I was like, isn't it fucking weird that we all just sang along to Firestorm? Like if you look at those lyrics, they're a bit fucking dicey, you know, a firestorm to purify. But I was totally like tongue in cheek. I wasn't really like taking earth crisis like to account it was just kind of like i think i said something like isn't it embarrassing how much we were all into earth crisis <laughs> and some and i got these people who were like absolutely not embarrassing you motherfucker and you know like <laughs> started to get threatened and all these other things and then i didn't for some reason i didn't realize that because then other people that were my friends were writing me and i was having like these conversations but obviously everyone can see it but i just didn't realize it and all of a sudden the, the earth crisis guy wrote me and was like what the fuck <laughs> and i was like listen man this is going way out of control it was just a joke and i'm really sorry like i you know you're good man and uh and he was like, yeah, yeah, cool. But it was just, yeah, it was just funny joining Twitter being slightly um, 
and being slightly uh, naive to how the whole thing worked and just all of a sudden just being like threatened by straight edge vegans <laughs> like guav's straight edge weapon was going to come and beat you down <laughs> yeah exactly i was like i'm never going to to see your accused ever again because i'm not welcome <laughs> oh my god yeah that would that's a terrifying prospect because those guys were pretty scary back in the day the whole vegan oh man yeah i grew up and... yeah yeah they would like you know there was always those rumors of people going out and blowing up um you know like uh animal testing facilities and just being like legit i mean i think you know i think like especially up in syracuse it was a very violent place like just the students had to like arm themselves because they were just getting robbed all the time so that then became like okay now we have weapons at shows and now that i'm feeling comfortable with this you know gun or whatever i'm gonna go use it to shoot a fucking vivisectionist <laughs> doctor i don't know you know all this crazy shit that like people who are already kind of you know not right and will get into given like the given a platform so yeah it was it was definitely all those fears coming back into me after my stupid tweet <laughs> <laughs> oh that's just beautiful but yeah yeah, yeah. That, that, that's exactly why this stuff is it's fire it, it's not to be toyed with you know no, no but, totally um, getting back to uh the way you recorded and everything so you recorded it like a rehearsal and they used a technological advancement to make it sound like it was done in a, a bigger studio do you plan on doing something in, like on that scale again something in a, in a larger you know more well-established studio or are you going to kind of try to do it the same way well if someone gives us the money yeah definitely mm -hmm. <laughs> i mean you know because i think um i think i've had enough sort of well, because I also was recording a lot of my own. Um, I got like a pro, like I said, I went to that recording course and got a Pro Tools rig. Um, and I did some internships at studios and I would go to the studio and my friends were there. So I got a little bit into production. Like I don't, I wouldn't ever know how to work the desk at a studio, but I feel like I know what compression does and a little, a little bit of background around it to be able to give like the suggestions of like, Oh, why don't you put like a plate reverb on this vocal and um, do something kind of far and far out with it. And that was, that's the thing I would love to do is be able to have the tools to go in and have like the possibility of like really getting really going down a rabbit hole with not to make like loads of effects and sound like we're my bloody Valentine, but like <laughs> just to use the studio tools to your advantage to have those there. But the only thing is also any of the times I've been to a, a profession, <clears throat> professional recording studio, it's always on like a shoestring budget. So you're like, okay, quick, we have to do 10 songs in four days. You know what I mean? And you're like, we don't have time to fuck around. Like <laughs> just get the tracks down and, you know, and, and, and don't fuck it up. Um, but yeah, no, that that would be cool. Uh, but it yeah, it is just yeah, cost prohibitive. Um, and um, the way that we do it now is actually cool because basically because I have access through work to like really nice microphones, I'll mic up the whole drum set um, and then record it into like my laptop basically, and then drums, bass, and vocals. And you know, in in that respect, you kind of have unlimited studio time. Like I don't have to go in and. Like, um, like even with the last Jazz Dune album, it was like I had 
I don't know, two days or a day and a half to do all the vocals. And I was just terrified. I'm like, what happens if I lose my voice halfway through the first day? Like, we're just fucked, you know, because I've flown over from London to do this. Like, um, luckily, I made it through it. But um, yeah, and that is the one cool thing about doing it. You're not sort of like tied down to studio time on the clock and you're not going, you don't have a producer going, okay, guys, like this is just isn't even working. This, this, this idea is, is not working. You haven't rehearsed it enough. So let's move on to the next thing. So we were able to like fine tune things. And I think I'll do that a lot more with the sort of like follow-up recordings that we do, um, knowing that I can send it to Bob and he can, again, he, he, bring, he brings it into an actual studio. So basically he'll run like the bass track that we've recorded through either an amp um, in the studio or possibly a plug-in. I'm not exactly sure what he does, but he, he when it comes back, it sounds like you've actually been in a studio. So knowing that that kind of, um, you know, final result will exist, I feel like I'm probably going to do more knowing that I can kind of like chuck stuff on. And even though it might sound a bit, you know, the, the sort of like Casio keyboard that I am playing on doesn't sound great in the context that I have it. He can kind of make it sound like it's some fucking cool farfisa or something like that. Um, and uh, have the options to do a lot more layering of stuff. Not that we're going to turn into like craft work, but you know, just the layering of, of some of the music and, and some of the things that we're able to do. I think there's too many examples now of really good bands getting really great recordings at home. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's, I guess, sad for the people who own studios and stuff because they are kind of getting lost to the home recording, but it, it's just, it's simpler now. I mean, every kid has garage band. If they have an, an Apple device, they have garage band already. It's preloaded, you know? So the opportunity for creativity and exploration, it, it's vastly beyond like what did we have like a, a four track uh fostex <laughs> you know like yeah. well and i yeah and i didn't even get one of those until like i had a job and had money to buy one like you know what i mean it's still it was like not it was still a barrier to entry mm -hmm. um and obviously a recording studio you had to have a label behind you um but yeah you're right you know and you just kind of have to embrace that because i know there are still like I, I guess if you go to steve albini's studio he's like everything's played live still which is great and mm -hmm. and 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 i think that's cool that he kind of does that and some people were still like instead of being like oh let's just do track after track after track like let's no let's 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 figure out what we're doing beforehand instead of going like here's a million tracks and then let's let's mix it in and see what sounds good but um but yeah you do have to embrace that because i think the cool thing is now for you know for for us it's like i mean i've been playing in bands um 15 and i know when a song's ready to be recorded so all the fucking around i can do in a rehearsal space and then when i'm actually recording it i know okay i've tried a million different things this is the track i'm gonna lay down and be confident that this is the one that i want to do instead of um you know going into a studio and writing the songs um so yeah that is kind of like but again, then I can go and since I've got my basic track down and I've figured that all out, what I want to play, and I've written the lyrics and played with them along, uh, I can then figure out the, the extra stuff that kind of makes things really come to life. And that was a great thing too, you know, Brian from the Jazz June 
I would send him, you know, bass, guitar, vocal, you know, the basic tracks. And he would just put on these really fucking cool lead guitar stuff that like I would have never thought of. Um, and, you know, he was doing that from his house in North Carolina. It's like that would have been impossible to do in like 1992 or whatever. It just wasn't, you know, technology wasn't there. So, yeah, I think, um, you know, keeping it, I think, yeah, that's the thing. You have to go in knowing what you're actually going to record or at least having an idea of like, okay, this is the song and these are the parts. And um, and that way you kind of have a basis then to use the technology to embellish on that or at least that's that's the way I do it anyway like everyone probably does it their own way and makes much more um, much better music than me but yeah that's kind of my approach it's like let's get the song written and done in practice and then let's go to the the studio or or record it um, and then add stuff to it just kind of like pull parts out and, and fuck around is, and is this like basically your your only solid project right now? Or are you doing other things, dabbling musically? Uh, well, I still do a bit with some of the garage rock bands. So like after Black Time, um, a couple of us started this band called Vervin Barbon. Um, and we've got this like really cool Finnish um, girl singer who just she can scream like a motherfucker man like she's just never loses her voice she's got this great sort of screaming voice so we put out a record uh like during lockdown but they were songs that from like years and years before um so we'll play every once in a while we're playing a uh, festival over in hamburg um germany at the end of the summer called get lost fest um which is by some of the guys who put out our record on wild wax sorry, Wild Wax Records and Girlsville Records, Chicago and um, Germany-based. So, so yeah, we'll, we'll do some shows. But, yeah, this is kind of my main out, songwriting outlet. And, again, because I've got – it's a three-piece, which makes it really easy to rehearse, you know, everyone's schedules or it's less, you know, threes, less people to organize than four or five. Um, and, yeah, we all live pretty close to each other, and we're all friends and hang out and stuff. And uh, – it's fun. So I do it as much as I can. And why, why did you select the name post skeleton? Oh man, I knew someone was going to ask this. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's actually like a joke within a joke with like within an inside joke. It's kind of almost meaningless um, from the outside perspective because, um, but it actually, so we took forever to pick a band name and I'll never do this again. Every time I start a new band, I'm going to pick the name and say, this is the band name. Because if you leave it up to the committee, you just go on for, we went on for almost two years trying to go back and forth between band names. So finally, we had our first show. Um, and after literally sending probably 100 band names back and forth over WhatsApp, um, our friend, or, sorry, our bassist had just gone to, um, I think it was Namibia which is where the skeleton coast is. And he was like, oh, this great, that's such a cool band name. So we're like, okay, perfect, skeleton coast. And we had to, it was at that point, we're like, they need, they need a name to put on the flyer. So then we played the first show and our friends came up to us and they're like, dude, I listened to your album on Spotify today and you don't sound anything like that. Like, what's the deal? And we're like, oh shit, there's another band called Skeleton Coast. Um, <laughs> And people were listening to it. Like even our friends, you know, thought they just typed it into Spotify 
And we're like, okay, well, obviously we have to change our name. So then um, we were like, oh, so now we're post skeleton coast. That was like the joke. <laughs> we'll call us. <laughs> we'll call ourselves post skeleton coast, so it doesn't get mixed up. And then I kind of liked the post skeleton part because it kind of was in my mind making fun of post Malone, um, <laughs> and that's how the band name came up. <laughs> <laughs> And we're like, and we're like, we'll put a hyphen in it because that's obnoxious. You know what I mean? Like it was just literally <laughs> some sort of joke, but I, I do like it. And I like, and it's also, I think too, we really had, you know, this is the, this is the day and age we live in. You know, I always thought it was weird when people called themselves waves with three capital A's. I'm like, what the hell kind of pretentious shit is it? But I realized, no, that's just for Google searches. Like if you typed in waves, you're going to get pictures of the ocean. But mm-hmm. we had to pick a name that was not used before so that people weren't searching us to find Skeleton Coast, which is a band that has already been out. And post-skeleton, the two words with a hyphen would then, if you knew enough to type that in, you'd find us versus stories about skeletons or Post Malone or whatever. So <laughs> very strange uh, sort of confluence of things that happens, but that's kind of the, that's the true story behind it. <laughs> that's interesting because like, you know, I've, especially like 10 years ago, the whole witch house scene was yeah, a yeah. popular thing. And they were using like everything from Greek letters to mm-hmm. just cross symbols like chino moreno from the deftones was in a witch house has a witch house group called crosses but you know it's not spelled that it's just three crosses right right i don't understand i don't pretend to understand but (laughs) i guess for the sake of a google search that would that would pretty much take you right to that (laughs) yeah and i'm it's the only thing you have to go into like insert symbol because i'm not seeing a cross on my (laughs) my keyboard now so yeah you'd have to put in some work to find it but yeah like you said you're definitely going to land on that band and not something else so um i mean that's the thing every good band name is used and also i'm also of the idea that like band names no matter whether you pick the best band name um starting off you're going to hate it, you know, a couple of years in um, because it's going to be that version of what you thought was cool three years ago. And now you've moved on and you've, you know, thought of as many cooler ideas, but you obviously are stuck with that band name. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, you know, there's bands like I remember when I first heard the band name Modest Mouse, I was like, that is the dumbest fucking band name I've ever heard. Yeah, I just hated it for some reason. And all of a sudden, then I listened to the music. I was like, well, this band's fucking great. And now it's just like modest mouse. I don't know. It just becomes an insignificant. You don't think about a little modest little mouse with like a book, you know, yeah, <laughs> walking around in the library or whatever <laughs> like that. <laughs> that that phrase brings to mind. Um, it's just it's just modest mouse, you know, it, and it, and that's what it is. It becomes something, and no one thinks about it after they kind of hear the music. So yeah, I was always kind of like, I don't really give a shit what we're called. Let's call ourselves skeleton coast and then um yeah but you know there have been some times where I, ha- I have picked the band name before the band starts because i'm like oh that or even sometimes i'm like like when i i was in a band called wake up dead yeah i was like okay i already can see the album cover and i know what kind of music it is and i can you know it's like it's like a, a, a it, like that 
that that name kind of inspired the project and the direction of it. So uh, it can be more influential than uh, than other than other times. Yeah, I, I I've had the uh, similar malady throughout my the entirety of my musical uh, trajectory as well. I mean, the band I'm in now, I didn't name, and I hate the name of the band. But it's, named, <laughs> it's, it's named after a song by The Fall. And, okay. you know, but you put it in and some terrible, uh, like, post-emo band wrote a song called, Heart, we're called Heart Out. And okay. There's a song by The Fall called Hard Out, which is where we got it from. But there's also a song mm -hmm. by this really terrible, like, like pop punk band. <laughs> and you type <laughs> us in anywhere and you get them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. This is the thing. You've got to kind of think five steps ahead with some of these things. So I don't I just, know. But it... I, I long for the days of just walking around the mall, flyering. And <laughs> yeah, that's what yeah. I long for. That's Although, why I do this because it's my this is my fanzine now. Legitimately. Yeah, exactly. That's what this is. This is now my fanzine because I did a fanzine forever, and podcasting didn't did not sound like a good idea to me at all. Mm -hmm. it, I didn't even listen to podcasts until until I started doing one. But it is like, I, is anyone going to buy a zine off of me in in this day <laughs> yeah. and age? Of course not. Of course well, not. Does anyone read anything anymore? I guess probably even more to the point. But now, you know what? I'm totally with you, man, because I have, um, I've, yeah, I got um, like super into podcasts. There's, there's so many of them that I, I like. I'm like, what the fuck? They're supposed to be in my feed on Monday at 8, 8 a.m. and it's not here. What the fuck? I'm almost like want to write to them like, where's the goddamn episode? I need the, you know, like I've become obsessed with podcast and listen to i listen to them like every single night i put a podcast on before i go to bed but it is so cool and especially kind of like because again when the the jazz dunes last album came out and i was doing a bit of promo podcasts weren't really a thing at that point but now i've been invited to do a bunch of different podcasts and it's it's so cool because it's like i'm talking with people like you who are like music fans you know mm -hmm. you're not a journalist trying to figure out a clever way to fucking give my band a shitty review so that you yeah. can look smart and, uh, you know, go along with the sort of like ethos of the journal, you know, and obviously you're being paid. And then when you're getting being paid, that means someone's paying your salary. So they're influencing your, the way, what you're writing about. And then there's advertisers who are then influencing other things that you're writing about, the way you're writing about things. And with podcasts, you know, luckily it's not a huge I mean, I know it's expensive and it's, it does cost money, but, you know, if depending how far you wanted to take it, you could just kind of record it, put it on SoundCloud and, or somewhere and host it pretty cheaply. And then you can just, yeah, talk to people about music and the things that you're interested in without having to worrying about anyone else kind of dictating how you're talking about it or what you're doing. And also it's like, you know, if you could hate my band, right? And, uh, but someone decides, but for some reason, I, you know, I, we you put me on the podcast. If we get along and we have a nice talk, you, you might not hate my band anymore. But like, <laughs> and you might write a nice thing about it online or whatever. But if you're just being sent a CD and you're like, oh, I've got a I've got a deadline. I've got to review five records. You put the record on. You listen to it for ten seconds. You immediately go, 
I fucking hate this. This band sucks. They're derivative. They just are trying to sound like this and blah, blah, blah. Next. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's a totally different situation. I mean, obviously you can't expect every journalist or everyone who works at like Pitchfork to sit down and talk to every single one of the bands that they review because they've got to do so much. But like, you know, it is a totally different situation getting to talk through the sort of thought process. And especially like I can listen to a podcast about the Spice Girls Oh yeah, because it's interesting to me to find out their process and their life and how like a major label works. And I don't have to like their music. I can still be interested in that part of it because it's just like a peek into that kind of life or that world or that environment. And that's interesting to me. And I'm not a journalist. That's, that's the big point of, of what I do. And my listenership knows this. I only have bands I like on. I there'd be yeah, no yeah. there'd be really no point in me having on someone that I I don't enjoy even if I do think they'd be great people because I uh, I'm I'm a terrible bullshit artist. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I I just I'm I I'm not adept at it and to be fair to all involved if if you see a, a band associated with with my podcast that's a cosign. That's all that's yeah, exactly yeah. 100% what it is. You you could hate it or love it, but people going in now, I'm talking to someone whose music I enjoy and we're going to be deconstructing not only the music and the artistic process, but what kind of people are making this music and yeah, what, what yeah. their emotions are attached to it. It makes my life so much easier. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And you know, it's like, um, I think it's, you know, I always kind of feel like um, obviously kids who are younger than us who haven't like gone seen all these bands that we have seen and uh you know i you know i I was the same when i was like 17 i was like oh man i wish i would have been able to see youth of today you know Mm -hmm. and and all the other bands that i kind of missed that my brother got to see but you know if someone's obviously interested in this kind of music you know to have um chats with people and talk through the influences and everything else like it kind of just gives them a peek into other bands that they should be checking out and uh you know just the evolution of like the 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 genre and all the different ethos behind it and hopefully you know um inspires them to listen to older bands and newer bands and um just kind of like generally opens up their perspective on on music because obviously you can find everything online now for free but how do you figure out the words to type into the Google search to find it? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. These, like podcasts and things like that are the things like that's how I find so much music, like two musicians or, you know, musician talking to the the host and they go, Oh, you know, we really trying to go for this type of thing. And I'm like, Oh, never heard them. Let me check them out. You know? Um, and uh, it kind of fills that void of um, I used to just read like music blogs all the time. Um and now I do less of that and I listen to more music podcasts because I kind of get that same experience from it. Yeah. And, and it's all also like, I don't know if bands do thanks lists anymore because what's the point? Oh yeah, totally. Nobody, like very few people are buying physical product. That's how I found most of the bands I liked. You, yeah, band you, yeah. Like, you open up the booklet. Oh, they're friends with this band, this band and inspired by this band and this band. I'm going to buy all of these and I'm probably going to like them. I, that 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 end of the journey, uh, that part of discovery, just doesn't really exist anymore. So you kind of are forced to 
listen to these types of things so you can figure out hey what's cool because <laughs> yeah, there's and, no map for it anymore no and like you know i don't to be honest i don't have a lot of nostalgia for that just because you know i think like you said like you would buy i mean I, at one point i was really into like discord records bands right so i would just buy the next discord um release because it was on discord and then mm. i would read the thanks list and it would thank all these bands and then I would go on a search for their record. So I go to my local shop. No, not there. Um, and then I go to like the Princeton Record Exchange. Oh, no, not there. And then I would go to the fucking Vintage Vinyl and like um, up in like Morristown. No, not there. Then I was like, okay, I'm going to DC <laughs> <laughs> to find this record. And, you know, that is a cool journey and i had a lot of fun and i got out of my house and i went with friends to these places and i met the people at the record store and i flipped through and but it's so much easier to be like oh that band's cool tap 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 oh now i can listen to it you know i don't have to spend a year driving around america <laughs> to find this fucking obscure seven inch that i that i that i don't even know if i'm gonna like because i can't hear it i'm just going off the reference of you know the nation of ulysses thank list or whatever yeah um, so yeah, it uh, it does kind of help you it, with that perspective. Things are more immediate. Yeah, they are. And uh, I mean, I'm just I'm a rom I romanticize these things just because. Yeah, yeah. That was my youth. We all totally. romanticize aspects of our youths. Is it better now? Of course, of course. Yeah, yeah. It's easier, but to me, there there's just there's still something very quaint, I guess, about getting a mixtape from a girl that likes you or something and and you're gonna get a peek oh, yeah. at who they are and what they're about because they have this that the other thing on a cassette that they gave you that's how i discovered i discovered modest mouse from the girl i was seeing in kutztown when they first came <laughs> out she gave me a mix a mixtape and she handmade the cover and, and all that for me and they were on there that's how i found out about them you know i mean that's just that's why I romanticize these things because that's what no, I yeah, I know, yeah, and I remember like going to the record store and buying like say uh, Gorilla Biscuits. I remember when Gorilla Biscuits Start Today came out, and I remember my my brother saying like that name, and obviously you're going to remember that name when you hear it because it's like what the fuck? That's the weirdest band name, especially for a hardcore band. Yeah, and I remember going to like the record store and seeing Gorilla Biscuits Start Today and being like oh yes that's the record so I, I actually got the tape and i remember just like getting it putting it in my tape player and playing it over and over for like three months i don't even know like that's all i listened to and i read every single lyric and i stared at the pictures and i just it was like it was like reading a book in a way you know because it's like you're just in a world you you you're you're in another universe you know so yeah i suppose you don't get that experience from pulling stuff up stuff on up on spotify but you know saying that um obviously with friend club being like a tape label and it's funny because like my my friends who are like our age were like what the fuck who owns a tape player you know like you need to sell a tape player along with your tape you know <laughs> because <laughs> no one's got it but you know it's obviously showing that there is that need for people to like have a thing and hold it and look at it and you know look at the, the cool pictures and kind of like get lost in that whole story that you're telling so 
Um, and you know, it's funny too, cause like Dan from the jazz dude, his son is sort of t- getting into his teenage years and he's like fucking listening to bold and playing bass along to like ride albums. And like, you know, he's, he's buying vinyl and everything else. I mean, probably cause he's influenced by, you know, he, he's aware of it cause of his dad, but still like, yeah, it is cool to see some of the, the kids like really getting into it as much as, as kind of we were, cause it's obviously music is such an addictive thing. Um, you know, it's going to transcend technology and everything else. And incidentally, uh, Start Today is my all-time favorite hardcore record ever. Yeah, amazing. That's that's the one. I mean, I was into hardcore before it, but that's just... That's where kind of it all, like, changed for me, you know? It, it became musical. It, it wasn't just aggression. It, it became yes, something else. Yes, totally. And there was positive messages. I mean, you know, it's some of it... You know, my room's a mess and I can't get dressed. <laughs> like, well, you're like eight o'clock. <laughs> you're like, oh man, that's so corny. But it's so great because it is like a positive thing of like, hey, let's start today and clean your room and like do your homework and you know, yeah, help out your friends and you know. <laughs> so yeah, it was such a positive and it just that yeah, something about that band being called Gorilla Biscuits and having like a colorful, you know, front album and. uh and having like really upbeat songs, but we're, I mean, they're just great songs. It doesn't matter what he's saying, you know, but then some of the lyrical content is just like really positive and, you know, you're like skipping to school, listening to it. Um, so yeah, amazing album. I'm sure there's, I'm, I'm sure there are other hardcore records, but that I would listen to, but yeah, that one I could definitely, I, I play it for like my seven year old daughter and we just like jam out in the kitchen while we're doing the dishes. She loves it too. It's just one of those records. It's so good. Oh, you're on the old dad train too, like me, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, check this out. You're gonna like it. We can jump around to it, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, my I at this age having a three year old and and you know allowing like kind of showing him what I was into when I was younger. It, it's just so very special because yeah, yeah. we do have such a massive age gap. You know what I mean? My daughter and I are only 25 years apart, but my son and I are 40 years apart. We're wow, four, no, yes. 43, I'm sorry, 43 years apart. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's crazy, man. I should be his grandfather, but I'm his dad. <laughs> you know, there's uh, there's something really beautiful about that, I think, to uh, kind of show him something that he may never have had a window into. Yeah. And, you know, and, and to be, um, you know, cause I, I guess I, I don't know, it was different with my parents. I guess they just weren't as avid music fans. They weren't like, Andrew, check out this band. Like they were just kind of like, they'd put on a Beatles record. I'd be like, Oh, this is cool. Or my dad was into like Willie Nelson and stuff. And that's cool music and the beach boys and things like that. But um, I suppose like being like, Hey, let's, let's sit down together and listen to this. And like headbang or whatever, it is like you know very unique experience mm-hmm. that um, you know yeah it's really really cool. Those are the moment you know those are the kind of like you know I know I talked a lot about death and misery and <laughs> everyone <laughs> being alone, but you know those are the moments that are make life worth living. Those kind of like sitting down and listening to a record either with your friend or your kid or whatever, and just like having this shared experience and can't it's not many other things that can kind of connect people like that 
Yeah, that's music is ubiquitous like that. That was my experience with my father. My dad was a musician as well. Mm. And he was massively into the stones and the doors, but like he he liked he took me to see the Who with the Clash opening. Nice. My, my oh first my concert, you know. My dad was wow. really he was like that. And it this this is all his fault. This, this is all his <laughs> fault. This is all his fault. I mean, for all of my father's faults, he instilled a, a, a very healthy uh, addiction to music. And I almost, I just lost him pretty recently too, within the past three years. And oh, sorry, man. Yeah, I know you. You went through it. You know, it's you know you're never old enough. You know, you're never old enough to lose your dad. And I don't know. Uh, he, my dad was only in his like early thirties when his father passed. So that was really right. rough on him, but yeah, you know, I, I thought once I'd reached my forties and my dad was still around, I was like, okay, all right, I'll be, I'll be okay. If something happens. No, no, I wasn't. <laughs> no, it's um, yeah. It's, it's something you could never prepare for. And it's also something that only time can heal, you know, like, despite all the therapy and everything that I was luckily able to get for free here, you know, it just took a really long time to come to grips with that, you know, it, because it's like, especially with your dad, it's like, now I have to, you're, you just feel like you're all, you're out on your own all of a sudden. You don't have mm -hmm. that person just, obviously, you know, your mom has a huge influence on your life or my mom does, but, you know, having that, per, you know, I'd go to my dad and, and just say like, I'm like oh, man, like fucking got a, my rent went up or I had to move out to this new place and I can't afford it. And now I've got this, that, the other thing. And he would just be like, son, in life, I've had money and I've lost it and then I've had it again. That's just the way the roller coaster rides, you know, and you're like, oh, my God, I immediately don't care anymore <laughs> you <Yeah>. know, <laughs> that I'm in debt and lost my job and everything else. Just really like put shit into perspective in a way where you're like, oh yeah, okay, yeah, you're right. I, I guess you're right. You know, I just, it's just a point in time where I don't have money. And I, and he would do that so simply for so many things that, um, yeah, that's just a really big chunk that, you know, you miss when they, when they pass on. I still, and still, if I'm at work or something and Cat Stevens comes on, I have to like leave the room. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, I haven't, yeah, I, mine is, a bit more random yeah but there are moments where you're just like oh shit here it comes <laughs> oh, fuck, here i go <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> hope you're not like driving a motor vehicle or something operating heavily machinery <laughs> no i know well, i just pull over at that rate but yeah yeah <laughs> let's, let's face facts the uh cat steven's father and son is not going to come on all that often but it just so yeah, happens yeah. that it has twice at work and both times i ran to the bathroom <laughs> <laughs> uh, like uh honey is it why is there a plumber crying in our in our bathroom is it did you say something to him <laughs> so i guess That's to kind of like to kind of like sum it all up um mm -hmm. what what would you like people to kind of come away from this record with like what what do you want them to walk away from with with this record well i guess in a best case scenario i'd like them to sort of like enjoy the songs and you know 
I, I think what I always try to do is write a song around a memorable phrase. Like if, like for instance, like um, in the song Leave, it's like, um, um, uh, and oh, and we don't need to talk about it. Just say you don't love me and leave. Like that kind of thing where it's like, okay, I've got that phrase. Now I can go forth and build a song around it. So hopefully they're, you know, those kind of phrases are, catching in their brain and they're kind of repeating them and, and and they're enjoying listening to it. And then I think, I don't know, it's definitely music for a specific type of probably music fan who knows the references from everything like you talked about with, you know, replacements and, you know, guided by voices and on pavement and all the other bands I like it mixed in with some of the sort of, um, you know, more emo stuff that, uh, that I've been involved with for a long time. Um, and just to generally kind of like get what we're trying to do, you know, that would be, that would be really cool if people could understand we're trying to mix a, a couple of different things and take it to another, not another level, but, you know, do it in 2022. I don't want to be like a nostalgia band, just trying to like recreate shit that the jazz June did. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to people to appreciate the journey. Cause I'm like, really, that's what I'm, I'm really into like following people's career. Like I love listening to all, you know, 10 records by like Archers of Loaf, you know, I'm oh, not yeah. just going to stick with one of them. And then his solo projects and his side projects. And, you know, I'll, I'll listen to like everything that every member of the June of 44 ever does until I die or Fugazi or whatever. Just yeah. I'll, I'll at least listen to, I might not like it all, but um, yeah, I suppose that's the best case scenario that people are kind of like following and going like, hey, because all the marketing is like, the guy from the Jazz Dune has a new band. And after all, I'm like, man, I don't know. Yes, I was in the Jazz Dune and that was an awesome thing. And I totally love it and appreciate it. But, um, you know, it feels almost like a marketing ploy in a way. But I suppose it's more just kind of like, okay, well, that's just an entry point. If anyone liked the Jazz Dune, check out this new stuff and hopefully you'll get it or you'll like it. And if you don't, that's cool. If you do, you know, we've got um plenty of songs we're still going to record and hopefully you like them too so i don't know i guess just some 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 sort of sense of of joy or enjoyment <laughs> yeah. yeah versus you don't, you don't seem so precious about it that which is refreshing <clears throat> because a lot of you know and i understand both both sides of it because i've been in bands where like i like the music but you know i was so comfortable with it that i was I was okay if people didn't like it or not. And I think that comes with age, but in my youth, I wanted everyone to be supremely affected and, and emotionally destroyed by what I was doing because I, I neurosis was always my favorite band. <laughs> yeah, I always oh, wanted to have, them. Oh, so fucking good. Times but of I, grace. Jesus. Yeah. That's every, everybody brings that one up. That one just, <laughs> it's ultimately soul crushing and incredibly beautiful. Steve on tour is on here talking about it. There's just something about that record. Yeah. But I had it in my mind that I had to do that to be effective. Yeah. Now that I'm older, I'm is my band is still punk adjacent and hardcore, like melodic hardcore adjacent, but it's a lot simpler and a lot more plainly spoken. And I'm not trying to be this Prince of Darkness type shamanic figure now it's just like i'm just talking about life man and i'm not as precious about it anymore so i i understand what you're what you're saying yeah i hope you like yeah. it yeah 
you don't have to even get the greater meaning or you know fall into the minutia of my lyrics just i hope you dig it and yeah, yeah. and 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 like i don't know i'm in a really i i, I yeah i'm in a, a time where i'm really enjoying playing music because i have no expectations whatsoever like when i like there was a point like not really even the jazz june but after the jazz june when like i was like okay I'm 22 this is my last fucking chance if i'm gonna be you know a, <laughs> not even like a rock star but if i'm gonna be in a situation where i'm going to be able to have like have music pay my rent it's gonna happen now because it's a young man's game and i'm getting old kind of thing and mm -hmm. you know when we would kick out members of the band because they weren't in dedicated enough and what you don't <laughs> want to practice three days a week for four hours each what the fuck we don't you know don't hold us back you know um and um and also just like a bit of jealousy you know like you know it's just natural like when when we had been playing in the jazz june for however many years and all of a sudden these bands like um i remember saves the day wrote us when they were like a very young band it was like oh you know we like jazz you want to play with you um and all of a sudden two years later they're like fucking on mtv and you're like what the fuck you know we've been yeah. doing this longer and you know all that kind of stupid shit definitely have put behind me to the point where i'm just kind of like also i, I think it makes you feel a little bit more comfortable about being like I'm not trying to be anything. I am just writing a song, you know, and I'm talking about stuff that's happening in my life. I'm not trying to be political, even though there is some politics, you know, political influences that go in it, but I'm not trying to do anything. I guess is the point. I'm just trying to write a good song that I like essentially. And my bassist likes, you know, he's like in, and you know, my partner, Jen, it's like, if they think it's good. Then, we'll play it you know if 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 not then it you know it doesn't get past the sort of like writing room and then if other people listen to it fucking awesome and i love playing live and i love to play in front of bigger audiences and cooler clubs and that's kind of always what keeps me going is um is is playing gigs because you're always especially now living over here it's like you know, we might have the opportunity to play over in Spain and we might play up in Liverpool and you just go to meet like the coolest fucking people who mm. live in other places. And, and that's all, you know, all the travel, so much of the traveling I've done all over, all over like the Europe and obviously like almost every, all 50 states has all been funded by music. I never made, came home with any cash, but it kind of no. got me from one place to the next. And yeah, that's just been such a cool experience. So I don't know, I'm 45, but I can't imagine myself ever not wanting to do that. You know? Yeah, I don't think I when, once that bug gets under your skin, it, it never never really relinquishes its hold. You know, it becomes you. It you're a musician, you're a lifer. Yeah, yeah. and it's not a and it's not a it's not a bug of. I want to be rich and famous and a big no. rock star. It's more just like, I just want to do it. I want to be able to do it and have fun and play in front of other people and bring a smile to their face or whatever it ends up being. So I guess my last question of your, it's your evening and my afternoon uh, would be, what is your greatest accomplishment thus far as a musician? Oh, as a musician, um, there's the first, you know, it's funny because it's like at first I just wanted to I was like if I could put out a seven inch I could die after that day because that was my, that was my big goal you know going yeah. into like the jazz June but um 
there's been certain touch points like playing we opened up for built to spill once um we were in thrasher which is like a I was just like a super skate rat when i was a kid so that was like yeah. super cool um having npr like exclusively put out one of our songs is really cool so there's been a lot of cool moments like that just you know getting to you know even um when the jazz June got back together to, we got the opportunity to open for mineral down at the fun, fun, fun fest. And, um, you know, just playing with like bands that I really like and admire. And then, um, yeah, those have been the sort of like most rewarding things. There's just been a couple of them. I couldn't say that one is specifically like stands out more than the other, but, um, yeah, some of those things along the way have just stuck with me, you know, where you're just like, fuck, this is, that's, fucking great you know <laughs> like <laughs> that's gonna stick with me that's gonna make me happy for a long time you know <laughs> i got to be in thrasher once too but i was standing leaning on uh my skateboard while one of my friends did a trick that was oh that's even cooler being there with a skateboard in your hand oh, amazing i wasn't skating though because I, <laughs> nothing, nothing i was doing at that point in my life in 1991 would have been worthy of thrasher magazine right well who was the skater <laughs> Oh, uh, my buddy Andy, and he never really, they just came and shot us because we had like a little crew running around our hometown and mm. someone knew someone else who knew someone at Thrasher and they were just rolling through town anyway and took some pictures of us skating. It was like Sick. a, like a scene report type deal or whatever. Oh, that's awesome. I still have it just because, but yeah, yeah, man. That's it's great. not it's not as cool as having anyone write about us. <laughs> no, my ours was like we just went down to Louisville to play a gig and it was like a gig with like there was like four people there. Like it was the worst gig. Um but this kid was there, I can't remember his name unfortunately, but he was like, "Oh, I'm going to interview." But it wasn't like I'm going to interview you for Thrasher. He was like, "Let's let's have an interview." And I don't think we knew what was going to happen. And all of a sudden like it was like nine months later hadn't even thought about it andy from initial was like dude remember that interview you did it's gonna be in thrasher this month and i was like oh my god <laughs> <laughs> there is a god <laughs> he's been listening to my prayers <laughs> yeah i'll always wonder what what the hell happened to uh the initial records catalog i think it got i do know this because um i've kept up with andy so I think it got sold to Doghouse or maybe Doghouse owned a distribution company. Um, they own Lumberjack. Lumberjack, that's right. So I think he sold it all to Lumberjack at some point. What happened to it after that? I don't know. I mean, obviously the top shelf guys had to buy for like a dollar, had to buy the Jazz Dude rights off of Andy still. So I guess maybe he still has like some sort of, but all that like Boy Sets Fire and some of the other bigger bands that he put out, like, you know, there must be some monetary value in that. So I don't know if he's, he's like working on a fucking casino out in Las Vegas or something. He's totally not involved in the uh, music industry anymore. But um, wow. yeah, he's, um, yeah, at least for our stuff, it was like, pay me a dollar and you can own, you can do whatever you want with the Jazz June stuff. So. So that was cool. Wow. Well, at that rate, now that we've covered all of this territory, I will let you go for the evening because I'm sure you have family things to do. But when the next post skeleton comes out, 
would you come back on here and we can talk oh, more 100%, about it? Oh, 100 man, definitely, man. It's been great. Absolutely. Really appreciate you having us on here, giving an old, old guy like me uh, another <laughs> second chance. <laughs> 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 oh, it's been fun catching up with you, really. And uh, yeah, you too, man. I can't wait to do this again. Definitely, definitely. And man, have a good one. You too. Right, cheers. Bye bye now, folks. That was Andrew Lowe from Post Skeleton and the Jazz June. We had a great time talking to one another, obviously, and I can't wait to have him on again. I know that. This EP, Everyone You Know Is Alone, just came out on June 3rd of this year, so it's probably going to be a little while. But when that time comes, you can bet you'll see his name in this space once more. Please catch up with all of his comings and goings on Instagram, on Bandcamp. The name of the record label that released this EP is one friend club records friend club records uh i've interviewed a few of their artists at this point they mostly do cassettes uh mostly people who have a stake in the uh greater punk rock uh arena uh people who were in luminary bands who are now still creating excellent music and this is a great venue for them to be broadcast so that being said folks next week my friend Jalen Robinson will be on we have one hell of a conversation I can't wait for you all to hear it so it's been a hell of a week (laughs) I won't get too deep into it, but listen, if you have uh, the blessing to have your parents still be around, reach out to them. Call them a little bit more, because once you get to be my age, believe me, sooner or later, their health will decline. Hopefully later than sooner, but give your mom a call. Give your dad a call. Give him a hug. Tell him you love him. Something. He's been Andrew. I've been Peter. You've been beautiful. And from 3.33 a.m. studios, this has been the Book of Very, Very Bad Things podcast. Good night, everybody. <laughs>